Wahnsinn sein. Im Zorn zu der Bohnen, die ich an. Ist es der Edrich einer in der Nacht? Hit vom Foreign Light, Click, Click. In your Boom, Boom, Click. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Yard Abroad, where we talk all about living and doing business in Ghana. If you're just joining us, my name is Lakeisha Marie. And I am Zinga Makita. And today we have a very esteemed guest, Mr. Kofi Ankur. Kofi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lakeisha. Thanks, Zinga. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming and honoring the invite. So let's just get straight into it. Sure. Um, Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Who is Kofi Anku? Well, I am a real estate developer. Okay. I'm just wrapping up a 200-unit development uh, called Aimas Apartment. So I don't know how much you guys have seen it, but it's essentially it's a townhouse community. And what we're looking to do from a real estate perspective is to increase densities so that we could improve the quality of the services infrastructure, but still keep the costs relatively moderate. Beautiful. Great. So I mean. Are you, were you born in Ghana? Did you, where did you go to school? Tell us a little bit was, about your journey. Sure, sure. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Wow, okay. See, yes. this is why we need to know more. Yeah. Ghanaian parents. parents. Ghanaian parents. Ghanaian parents. Yep. Okay. And um, I did my undergrad at Columbia, New York. Okay. And started transitioning to Ghana, actually while I was in school. Awesome. My, my father's a retired oncologist. He started investing in Ghana. So I came over, I took a year off to manage some of the businesses when I was in university okay. and then back and forth for a few years and then full time about 15 years ago. Wow. So you've been here for 15 years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 10. How long? For me, yeah. September will be six years. So five. Wow. I okay. Know. So what made you like say, I'm going to move to Ghana, not just do business here? You know, it wasn't just one reason. I think it, it's partly family. Okay. Um, I didn't grow up with my Ghanaian family, so it was pretty amazing to be able to walk into a place where you had great aunts and great uncles right. and cousins and right. in the thousands. Right. Um, and then also just the opportunity to be involved in building a country right. uh, as a first-class citizen. Okay. So right. wait, so, did you have um, a lot of family in Ohio? I didn't. It was just... Basically, our immediate family okay. and my friends who I cherish, many of whom have come to spend time with us in Ghana. Yeah. So that's been, been amazing. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, for anyone who comes to Ghana, one of the things, well, not everyone, but when you come here, you realize there are a lot of things to get into, mm -hmm. right? Um, literally, so many ideas will come to you. How did you know what you wanted to focus on? What kind of... Um, steered you in the direction of real estate and farming? Yeah, it's funny. We, um, our family's always invested in real estate. We were pretty okay. heavily invested in real estate in Southern Florida. Okay. And at some point, my father was melting a lot of our properties there and uh, started buying land in Ghana. And we, I, I thought it was nuts, personally, because you'd have lovely condos on the beach, and I could understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, then you come to Ghana, and there was, you know, you have a piece of land in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> right. And I couldn't tell where it began or where it ended or what was going to happen. But he had a vision. He yeah. had the vision, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we also didn't realize how hard it was to okay. hold on to property. Okay. That you have issues with litigation, encroachment. Sometimes the people sold it to you, pretend right. they didn't sell it to you. Right. So it wasn't a passive investment. It was something you needed to actively be engaged with. Right. You, need, you know, we've, we've had 
50 court cases on various properties. You've had to build a whole legal department. You've had to employ surveyors full time. Wow. So it was, it was more than he had thought, but it's been an amazing experience. It's a right. great way to, to learn how Ghana works. I love that you bring that up because I feel like for a lot of us, when I say us, I'm referring to like millennials who are traveling now and considering Ghana, you hear very lightly about doing business in Ghana and people think about owning land in Ghana, but to think about what it takes to have it in the long term or the longevity of it. Like I literally have never heard of the, um, of this narrative. Yeah. The fact oh, that you wow. literally have to maintain, or yeah. what it's like to maintain, we're it's not hearing insane. that. Yeah. But it's insane. It's wild. I mean, I've had all kinds of craziness um, with folks just literally building on property. You have all the documents, folks are building. And it still doesn't matter. Well, yeah, and then you have to then go to court, get a demolition order, rock up at 6 a.m. with a SWAT team <laughs> to demolish a property. I mean, it has been quite a journey. Wow. But you said you've been here for 15 years, right? Full time. Full time. So what are the, because 15 years is a long time to be gone. So what are the changes, like you're speaking about land and how difficult it was then. Do you see it getting easier now that, like, you know? You know, in some ways it's harder. Wow. Because um, there's more pressure on the properties, right? There are more people who are chasing Mm -hmm. a a shrinking amount of available property so you have right. there's more pressure wow. and also it's appreciating you know so if somebody sold you a piece of land for you know 10,000 CDs 10 years ago and now it's worth 100,000 CDs right. they're wondering well maybe maybe they didn't make the right decision to sell it so I could, see you know, but let's get into that because even the area that I stay in to buy a house there is like a million dollars or yeah. less. No but, exaggeration. <laughs> no exaggeration. Yeah. Dollars. Yeah. US dollars. What do you think about that? Being in real estate, it's when you look at the house, you're like, okay, in the States for a million dollars, I know what I could get. But sure. here in <laughs> Sure. <laughs> like so <laughs> My question is, for those who live in the States who are interested in coming to Ghana and maybe buying a property or buying land, sure. the difference in pricing, like... What's up? What's up? Well, I mean, I think you have to think about it a bit differently, right? So if you're, I suspect you're talking about cantonments or ridge. East Lagon, ridge, cantonments. Okay, well, let's, you know, you've got certain drivers. So if you're going to buy a plot next to the U.S. Embassy in London... It's also going to cost you five million pounds. Very true. Right? Very true. So you're not really you're not talking about a suburb of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Right? You're talking about the most prime property in the right. country. So okay. yeah, it's expensive it. there. Um, and then there are a bunch of drivers. Uh, part of it is the fact that getting good title is difficult. Mm-hmm. So in places where the titles are really are bulletproof, like Cantonments, mm-hmm. there's a premium. On that, um, the other thing is the holding cost for those properties is very low. Okay. Right. So if you own a million dollar property in Ridge, your taxes are probably a couple hundred dollars a month, a year. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas if you own, uh, you know, an acre in the middle of Manhattan, mm-hmm. you're paying. I don't even know what you're paying, but you could be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> in taxes a year. Mm-hmm. Right. Which means you need to be generating a revenue from that property. Um, there are a lot of properties, there are a lot of underperforming assets in Ghana. 
There are lots of houses that are half built that have been half built mm -hmm. for years. Right. But they're they're sitting on you know two million dollars worth of property, mm -hmm. right? But there's there's not a holding cost. So I think there are levers that could be, uh, you know, if you were running a city, mm -hmm. you could be a little bit more creative with making a more dynamic real estate landscape okay. in the city, which would actually drop rents, increase uh, the pressure on landowners uh, to not speculate on real estate, but to actually invest. Right. Um, and also if the paperwork was a bit more straightforward, banks would be in a position to lend against, you know, yeah. so anywhere else in the world, I can say, hey, look, I've got a $10 million portfolio of undeveloped land. I need, I need $4 million to do this development. And they'd be, happy, they'd be happy just to write you a check and you'd walk out the door and you'd start your work. Right. In Ghana, that $10 million portfolio is not interesting <laughs> to the bank. Need anything. Exactly, because they don't want to be in court for years. They don't know what you're, so it, it's a whole, it's very, yeah. different. Yeah. Here's a question that I think you can help all of us understand, really. Why is, can you talk about why real estate is so expensive? Why is it so expensive to rent? Why is it so expensive to buy a house? Sure. Um, you know, I know we talked about there being different drivers, mm -hmm. but can you talk about that? Yeah, I think part of it is also just the cost of capital. Okay. Right? So we're not producing the sinks that go into the houses. We're not producing, mm -hmm. you know, the, the windows. We're not producing the tiles. All that stuff is important. Right. Right? And it's imported at a cost, and you're paying a premium also at the port. So you're paying you know, maybe 30%, 40% just to bring it in. Um, so that starts to tick up. As a developer, again, in a place like Ghana, you're borrowing at 12% interest. So if you're borrowing at a high interest rate, right. the you land is expensive back. to bring in. <laughs> all that, yeah, the, all of that just... Got to get it back. Yeah, you're, you're, it's your, uh, your cost of doing business here. Um, higher. Yeah, it becomes a bit more expensive. Do you see that, um, I mean, I guess over time that essentially happened, that will happen, but I was going to say, do you see that um, changing in the near future? You know, one of the reasons why I was excited to come and talk to you guys is because I'm really excited about the opportunity that the diaspora represents. Now, okay. when I say diaspora, I'm talking about Ghanaians abroad, but I'm also talking about the wider black diaspora. Right, right. And uh, a project that I'm looking at, we, were, we spoke about this earlier, affordable housing component. Okay. Um, I think one, a walk around mm -hmm. for some of these issues is setting up in the States, right? Where you're raising money for a development in Ghana mm -hmm. and your clients are based in the States. Okay. Right? Because you can borrow money cheaper right. in the US. Right. And I can run a, a credit check. You're talking about renting a house. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. You know, part of what will allow you to get a, an apartment mm -hmm. in LA mm -hmm. is that you have a credit score. Right. Mm -hmm. A system right. is there. Yeah. So you don't know. Yeah. So you don't have to pay two years in advance. Right. right. You pay a security deposit, first and last month, and you're good. All right. So that's one of the things that makes particularly premium property difficult to, to rent and right. because you're paying two years in advance. It's it's a bit wonky. Right. But I think the diaspora is tapped into cheaper sources of capital. Mm -hmm. So if we structure our businesses a bit different. Okay. And we are also leveraging the diaspora and saying, hey, look. You guys have access to, to raising money cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, we can give you good returns because we're competing That's against folks in Ghana. Yeah. Right. Folks in Ghana that are borrowing money at astronomical rates. And if you, I mean, I don't know how technical you want to get, but when you start digging into, okay, well, why are the interest rates so high in Ghana? Part of it is that the land is insecure. Part of it is also a country risk, right? That the government of Ghana is borrowing at 8%. Mm -hmm. right? So how much more would... 
a financial institution lend to a private developer. Right. All right. So there's going to be a, that, that sets a floor. Right. Right. And part of the reason why the government is borrowing at eight percent is because Kweku um, Adabuli explained this to me. He was saying that there's kind of a fundamental plumbing problem with our financial system because we don't have a huge stock of mortgages. Right. Which, uh, if you have a mortgage uh, bond or a mortgage portfolio, mm -hmm. you know that you can make a long-term investment. Right. right? So our, our pension funds are not investing in you know, trillion-dollar mortgage funds or $100 billion mortgage um, platforms. Right. They're, in, they're buying treasury notes, right? which is basically just lending money right. to the government. Right. Right? It's, not, it's not secured against an asset right. that is, you know, in the U.S., if you've got AAA mortgages and you bundle them, you know, or, well, you can assume that those mortgages are going to be paid promptly right. over the next 15 years. There's an entire system set up where you can basically hedge yeah. some type of um, hedge your investment because you know it's going to come back. Yeah. So you're saying we don't have, we don't necessarily have that here in reference to um, your friend's idea around the bonds. Mm -hmm. But I want you to talk to us more about that or like continue your point. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I. I think that's a kind of high-level issue. I think as entrepreneurs, I mean, for the folks that are watching your show, it's how do you fit in and, you know, every inefficiency is an opportunity as an entrepreneur. Right. Right. So if you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, well, I'm investing in the stock market, I'm getting an 11% return, you can beat that if you're an entrepreneur in Ghana, if you back the right entrepreneur in Ghana, if you know how to navigate. Right. So I think that's an interesting opportunity. So here's the next question. How do people navigate? What's, the, what's your vision on that? I, I think it's, it's at the entrepreneurial level mm -hmm. and you need to look at powerful collaborations. So okay. I meant to park, it's a project that I did with actually a black American led um, finance, um, kind of private equity mm -hmm. project developer team okay. uh, led by Cheryl Mills who's a, a fantastic lawyer and kind of a, a political figure in the U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. But she got you know, an extraordinary team of investors behind her, and she's innovating in the health sector. Are they con connected to Luca Health? They are. That's, yeah. that's the yeah, same yeah. group. Yeah, I know same group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's Luca Health. They're also running industrial parks. They're doing additional real estate developments. Okay. But for them, they had some challenges trying to get land okay. sorted out. And it took them years to find us in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and for us, we had a, a finance issue. I mean, it's been clear to me for 20 years right. what needed to be in the market. Mm -hmm. But to get a $30 million development off the ground, we need people that have access to proper capital. Right. Right. Right? So that mm -hmm. was, uh, and I, I think that's, that's the way forward for a lot of development, finding teams of individual entrepreneurs that share a similar vision and can can collaborate powerfully. Awesome, I love that. Okay, so with um, your project IE Mensa, mm -hmm. are you sold out? We have a few units left. Few units. Yeah, so we're it's, down. To it was, it's two hundred. It's a two hundred unit project. How many do you have? Left? We have. It's actually one hundred and ninety nine. Wow. In total, and we're down to our last seven. Amazing. So, and how long has it taken you to? It's been probably about two and a half years of active sales. We started the development itself in terms of the, the joint venture project about five years ago. So construction, maybe three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So who is your buyer? Is it Ghanaians? Is it people from outside? 
Who is your buyer for IU? <laughs> well, it's not, it's not just one. It's a mix. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll give, I'll give you a few profiles. Yeah. You have a lot of folks that you've got a buy-to-rent to, buy market. Right, so high net worth individuals living across, they've got some extra CDs and they're looking to invest in real estate. That's one segment. A larger segment is probably the buy to live. So young professionals that may have been renting at East Ligon. And so they're saying, okay, look, I can get a two bedroom townhouse for $140,000 in a beautiful community. That's, that's a big chunk of buyers. Another uh, buyer profile is the Dasborian buyer. So that could be a physician based in wherever, maybe in Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, who likes quality. They, sometimes they're not even in the country. They, they send a cousin, right. they've seen the photos online, right. saying, is this for real? They send someone, verifies <laughs> it. Real? Yeah, because yeah, I, I get it all the time. Sometimes I post images on LinkedIn, and people say, yeah, it's nice, but show us the real photos. Right. <laughs> yeah, this looks like a rendering. I'm like, no, mate, that's wow. not a rendering. That's, you know, this is a drone shot. So part of it is just getting the message out right. and sharing the story. But there's, there's demand. People are interested and we've been able to increase the price steadily over that three years of sale. Awesome. So with your next affordable housing project, can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. So in terms of, it's, it's taken us you know, a good three, three, four years to sell 200 units okay. of moderately priced in terms of our margin. We're not putting a huge profit margin on the units. But I think the real demand, particularly post-COVID, mm. is going to be affordable housing. Right. right? People are not going to have $170,000 right. to slap on the table. I was going to say, are we targeting more so the average Ghanaian? Or are we saying this is more so for our lower middle class American who's interested in coming over? Well, I mean, when you say average Ghanaian, um, it's a kind of, I would say it's more for maybe... No, a young professional. Young professional, so okay. We're looking at a, maybe a $40,000 price point. Oh, wow. Cap it somewhere okay. around there, right? So anywhere from twenty-five dollars to $40,000. But mm -hmm. I, I believe that there's a market demand globally. Yeah. Thousands, tens of thousands yeah. of people who'd be interested. Um, if I can add a financing component to allow people to pay over three years, right. that could make it interesting. But I'm very keen on the diaspora market um, because I think it opens up avenues in terms of being paid in hard currency, right. um, also in terms of establishing, you know, if you've got great credit in Ghana, you're still borrowing at 10%, Yeah. right? But if I have, you know, a throughput of $10 million on a project in a U.S. bank, I can have an interesting conversation with my bankers Absolutely. and they can give me credit and I can, you know, just even if it's a, a line of credit or there's, there's more flexibility there. So that's, that's one of the things I'm focused on. I'm excited, as you can probably tell. Yes. I'm like really excited. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. Because at the core of my heart and my efforts is this idea or the concept of country branding or sure. nation branding, right? So we kind of saw an example of it um, with Year of Return, mm -hmm. right? Where literally a country picks up a campaign and uses it to fuel a certain sector, mm -hmm. right? So year of return is very concentrated. We know who the audience is. It's for a capped time, sure. one year. But the way to, let's say, properly expand that to benefit the country, the country must now have its own strategy. So if I market to you to come in, when you come in, I have my structures in place for you. 
sure. I have my trade opportunities, I have my um, investment opportunities, yeah. I have uh, maybe certain symbolic things happening, events that's going to promote my culture and help you sure. promote my culture internationally. You know, that part is still not necessarily crystallized, let's say for Ghana. And I'm excited because as we're telling people to come to Ghana, come to Ghana, the truth is there aren't enough crystallized systems for people to pour into. Sure. So, so now they come, come to Ghana and stay where? Right. Right. Come to Ghana and stay where? Or do what with my money? Sure. So I'm excited because you're talking about this affordable housing project sure, sure. Um, that people can, okay, if you come, they can they can do something with their savings. They sure. can li liquidate and put it into something. So I'm excited about this because I feel like we need more of it and, it, and this thing needs to be almost um, centralized where it's not just you, but it's a part of like an entire effort sure. pushed by the country so that, you know, when Minister of Tourism says, hey, come build your life in Ghana, we have these structures in place, you know, sure. and, and it's almost like a pool of investors, real estate investors, and people who grow commodities and let's sure. say yeah. to, to trade with people who want to manufacture yeah. outside of Ghana. Anyway, let me calm down. No, no, look. Really this is like my like, life's work. Yeah, this is why I'm here. Because look, I think we have an opportunity that's very unique. Yeah. Because we actually don't need to wait for the Minister of Tourism to talk about our opportunity. You can talk about opportunity, right? Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm here, right? So, and it's it's extraordinary that with social media, we're able to find each other. Yeah. Right, I have, I have. There's an African American gentleman who was an ex NFL player who just seen my posts on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I said, "Look, this was even before the whole uh, George Floyd incident. Mm -hmm. said, the situation that I find myself in the U.S. worrying, and I'm interested in coming to Ghana." Wow. And he just, you know, I said, "Look, here's my here's my number. Right. Called me." driving the car and we just, we wrapped for about 15 minutes. Amazing. And what Ghana has to offer, and you guys uh, you have Jamaica roots, but what's interesting about Ghana is it's got scale and safety. Yes. And there are very few places, <laughs> mm. right, right, where that are black, right, where you're just taken off the table, right, where it's, there's a whole conversation about, well, have we moved forward, have mm. we moved forward fast enough, like, it, that whole conversation disappears as soon as you get off the plane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's the, a, another set of challenges that are here. Mm -hmm. It's not easy, yeah. right? But that one is gone. Right. And that's been our struggle for 400 years, whether yeah. you're in South Africa or mm -hmm. Kenya or, you know, Jamaica mm -hmm. or Brazil. Like West Africa and Ghana specifically, one of the very few places in the world where it's I mean, the homicide rate in Ghana is the same as Belgium. Right? So it's safe, you know, with maybe like one hundredth of the resources and security. When you're talking about defund the police, we've done that here already. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> defund the police. Uh, we're, yeah, we're on it. Right. You know, we're on it. You know, so that's not what you know. And I, there's a Malcolm quote. He's talking about rapping with some reporter, and the reporter's like, "Well, you know, are you looking for some." Legislate, like, what, what do you think will change this? He's like, education. He's like, what about legislation? He's like, you can't legislate goodwill. You can't legislate the. You can't legislate goodwill. Okay. Mm. Okay. You know, so it's it, that whole course 
history of social interaction in the in the West has been so painful for so many people. And whether it's real or imagined, who cares? Right. You come to Ghana, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Teachers do not treat you differently. The education system is not. Like, it's right. a different set of issues. Right. And I think for a lot of people, it's just nice and refreshing to yeah. be in a space where, okay, I need to set up my infrastructure. Mm, right. How do we do that? Right. I need to build my... It's, it's not, well... Am I being treated differently when I go for a bank loan right, or, right. you know, is my child safe? Or right, right. That's not, that's not the, the, uh, the set of challenges. So. I love that because, and we talk about this all the time, we, we, we never care to talk about racism because it literally does not matter. It doesn't yeah. matter here. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, if we do talk about it, it's in the context of what's happening in America. Sure. But I love, almost live by this quote by um, Toni Morrison. I'm going to butcher the quote, but basically <laughs> it says that racism is a distraction. You know, um, your adversary says, you know, your head is too big. So you spend time saying, no, our heads are normal. You know, your adversary says, spend time saying that you're inadequate. So you spend time proving that, sure, that sure. you know, quote, wrong. And the idea is, if you're not focused on um, racism, you can be focused on yourself. You can be focused on your God-given gifts. You can literally see your environment without that narrative of oppression and be able to pay attention to yourself. And I just find that coming to Ghana or any African country um, gives you, well, I'll speak for Ghana because that's where I live. that it, coming to Ghana gives you the opportunity to almost be relieved of that Absolutely. and get closer to yourself. And from that, you're able to say, okay, you're able to see yourself outside of the context of racism. Sure. sure. And Makita Hazel, I talk about this, but I cannot. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say, I cannot. It's tough for me in this time people are talking or asking a lot of questions about moving back mm-hmm. in the context of racism and I can't stand that narrative because I'm like that's not why I moved here sure. I moved here because I thought the place is was nope. dope yeah. and it has so much opportunity <laughs> sure. and that yeah. keeps them at the middle the more we talk about racism it keeps the, the oppressor focus. at the middle and it's time for us to take that out of the middle so. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. And uh, whatever your your analysis is, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a radical black nationalist, Ghana makes sense. If you're yes. a black conservative who believes in building your own business and thinks that, you know, anti-racism is actually more of a problem than racism, because I, I actually listen to some of these. There's some really interesting academics who have some different views, and it's it's less, in some ways, sitting and watching from Ghana you could be a bit more dispassionate. You know, there are people for whom, you know, where it would have just been so uh, tiresome to listen to certain voices in the context of the United States. But from here, living here 15 years, I can say, oh, John McCorder, okay, he's a linguist at, at uh, Columbia University. And he thinks that, well, maybe the racism isn't exaggerated. Let's assume that he's right. Who cares? Come to Ghana, not an issue, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I love that. You know, Grant Lowry is talking about building black business. Very conservative black. He thinks that the police thing that we're belly aching about it, we should focus on how we raise our kids and how we build our business. Well, mate, we're doing that. We're here. Right, right. You know, so either way, whether you're a Garveyite 
or you're a right-leaning right. black conservative Republican, kind of makes sense for you. Right. Okay, so let's say that someone is interested in visiting or moving to Ghana. What do you think are some steps that they need to take or to... Because some people, their excuse is, I don't know anyone in Ghana. I don't know anyone in Africa. Where do I start? I'm overwhelmed. You know, this is what I would say to you. <laughs> I, I was actually, I was on a panel in London uh, with my very good friend Denta. Okay. And uh, somebody asked, said, well, I'm interested in starting a business, but I don't know which business to start. Mm -hmm. And I, I reflected on that. And I said, you know what? You shouldn't start any business. I didn't say that then, but thinking about it, that the whole point of being an entrepreneur is seeing an opportunity in the market where you know how you can add value. Akisha, you're saying, okay, look, Ghanaians, they've got an opportunity, but they're not telling the story right. Ford Communications, okay, boom. You know, now you're making money doing that. Because you see an opportunity, you know what resources you can bring, you know, you've got the team, you've got director, you've got a, you know, you know where to get the equipment, uh, you know how to brand it. So you know, you see the opportunity. Nobody needed to tell the Italian immigrants you know, why to get right. on a boat and go to America. So it's maybe true. it's not for you. It's true. Right? So there's, there are 40 million African-Americans. Mm -hmm. We don't need all of them to come. Right. <laughs> it's not for everybody. Right. right. Yeah. And there's right. a quote from Morgan Scarborough. He's like, I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote too, but basically he's saying like, he's not for all black people to come back to Africa because some of them aren't any good there. So what are they coming here to do? <laughs> you know what? I <laughs> I, I, for me, the, it's, not, it's not a question of being the town the 10th or not. It's right. a question of grit, right? Yeah. It's true. So you if have you, that on your grit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? So if you, if you can see the opportunity, you're interested, it works for you, great. Yeah. You know, I would love to see a million African-Americans come to Ghana. Yeah. Right? I don't, I'm not sure that a lot of Ghanaians share that view. But for me, one million. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. You know, and I'm talking about everybody from black billionaire to somebody who, you know, to somebody who's a high-risk teen mm -hmm. you know, in a crime-ridden community, yeah. right? They just have never been in an environment with a whole nation largely full of mm -hmm. peaceful, non-violent, non-gun, you know. That. No, yeah. we don't have this gun culture. We haven't mm -hmm. enshrined it in our constitution. Yeah. Your yeah. second amendment is about guns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right? Before, so you, expect, right? <laughs> you know, so it's like, <laughs> that's your, the second one. It's like, like, say what you want and have a gun. Right. Like, all right, <laughs> cool. You know what direction we're going in. <laughs> okay. You know, like, I'm telling you, that the violent story in the U.S. is horrifying. Yeah. You know, and, and, and yes. I mean, part of the, the interesting thing about Black Lives Matter, like, is the, the repost of Black Lives Matter is, no, 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 we also kill 600 white people a year. Yeah. That's crazy. Why are you killing 600 white people? Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, it's a violence what, what? issue. 30,000 people are killed with handguns. That's crazy. Right? Some are suicides, some are homicides, a lot of them are in the cities. Like, right. It's just too violent. Whether it's a cop, whether it's, mm -hmm. a, you know, whether it's the community, it's like, it's too true. violent. It's right. not where you would right. want if, if given it's the choice. True. Right. You know, so from school shooting, it's crazy. So yeah. Ghana, peaceful. Focus on not, you know, you have to focus on anti-racism, you don't have right. to focus on on all kinds of issues, just right. how do you build your business? And I, I think that is, I mean, it's a new privilege, a new assumed privilege for people who, you know, move here from another country, but I think that is one of the most foundational aspects, I think, of being um, 
you know, your fullest or an mm. optimized version of yourself mm. in reference to being confident, literally mm. being confident, you know, feeling accepted, feeling validated. You know, if you're in a space where you're literally invalidated, like you're, you didn't ask to be what you are, but sure. your very existence is invalidated by your society, it can be very dismantling to, you know, it can dismantle someone's confidence, which can speak to why people can't imagine, why people can't, you know, create. We are still, still doing it. Sure. But coming here, and I, and this is why I love the idea of study abroad and the idea of people traveling at a young age, black people traveling at a young age to Ghana and the continent, it builds your confidence. I swear. And remember, we did this interview with another person. And I was saying, because she has her daughter here who's 15, and I was like, when I see your daughter, I see so much of myself in her daughter because I remember that, like being 15. Mm -hmm. And now I'm looking back at it. I hated my mom for bringing me to Ghana, but... <laughs> When I look back at it, I was just at that age where I was becoming so grown, mm. hanging out with my friends, mm. wanting a boyfriend. I could have easily been a right. teen parent. Right. Easily. Yeah. And it was like, my mom just took me out of that. Mm. Mm. And like, so I get it. When you talk about like, everyone should be able to experience it as a black person from the billionaire to the inner city yeah. um, teenager. Mm -hmm. I feel it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. Absolutely. And it did build my confidence, even as a young lady. Like, when I got here and I saw, like, they had to wear school uniforms, you had to carry yourself. I, I had to, like, yeah, step shape it up. Shape it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Seriously. So, I love that. Yeah. I remember from myself. Um, so, I came when I was, like, 19, 20. I can't remember. But it was in my, during my undergrad years. Um, so it shaped my confidence in ways that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So when I went back, Spelman and Morehouse, I swear, love my alma mater, but I think because we got so much funding from banks, mm -hmm. we were being like churned out to go and go into mm -hmm. the banking sector. Mm -hmm. You know, all, like all of the- What year did you graduate? 2010. Oh, I graduated 2010. So. This is a couple of years after Merrill Lynch went down. Yeah. Merrill Lynch made a huge investment to Spelman. Sure. So we were just very bank focused. Um, so coming out of that and interacting with my peers and dealing with, not dealing, but hearing them not being sure about if they should wear braids and if it's okay, mm -hmm. you know, trying to basically manage their blackness wow. because we're going into these very Caucasian and corporate mm -hmm. America settings where, you know, who we truly are is not necessarily the norm. But I remember being like, what? <laughs> yeah, like... Braids, what? <laughs> is that what we're talking about? For a job? About? Yeah, but, you know, not in, a, not in a condescending way, but it was my confidence. Right. It was my confidence. And I was like, I think this is because I studied abroad mm. and I know what it's like to feel um, supported and a part of the majority. Once you get that alignment... The idea of code switching because you subconsciously think blackness is inferior or not mm -hmm. accepted, it kind of dissipates. It kind of goes away, yeah. right? So I was able to like talk to them and encourage them like, 
this is who we are. You're hired because of your capacity, you know, what you look like aesthetically, that is your business. You know, that's your business. And obviously people will argue that, but I'm totally about black people being very black and being themselves. You know what I mean? Like, and not sanitizing it in the name of acceptance or validation. So, I don't know, it's a little bit radical, but I think Come to Ghana did that that for me. Sure, sure, sure. So I wanted to ask you, what got you into farming? Well, it's uh, again, it was about seeing a gap in the market. Personally, having made that transition, I just didn't see why I needed to pay $20 a kilo for a cherry tomato. <laughs> right? Wait, can you I know? just have a moment and just let people know that literally, this is literally how you start business. By being pissed off by something <laughs> or being highly yeah. confused it's as to true. why oh, this how? is happening. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? This is a solution. So I, yeah. I just I'm going to shout out my, my surrogate parents okay. as well. They founded a school in Vermont, David and Nancy Grant. Okay. And I went to that school for It's a semester program. Um, and for it's 17, 44 kids from all over the country. For a semester and you end up on this organic farm in the green mountains uh-huh. and you grow your own food love it you read transcendental write authors love it and you journalize so it's this kind of therovian retreat into yeah. the woods type of experience yeah. um and you know obviously transformational and life-changing you get all kinds of insights yeah well you've, you know you've run a farm before mm-hmm. so it just made no sense to me how is it that it's not that hard to grow tomato yet Ghana per capita and Nigeria import more tomato products than any one on the planet. Now there are some more issues to that once you start un- unpacking it, but that at least I saw there was a gap. I said, okay, look, we can make a contribution. Um, so several iterations. We did an aquaponic farm, and what I found, you know, right now we've got one of the largest commercial greenhouses in the country, but it didn't start out that way. It literally was. Those, you know, those Kufour gallons, those, you know, those, you know, like, you know, yeah. Sorry from the bottom, now we're here. Exactly. <laughs> I had my, my mom send me some seeds from London awesome. and, and we, we would just do a small project and then use that as bait right. to bring on another uh, investor, entrepreneur, and just scale it. So we've had about four iterations until, you know, what you see now, but yeah. we should run up there at some point and have a look. Oh, I'd love to. I'm yeah. all about that. So cool. can you tell us what you grow? Um, originally, we were looking at both cucumbers, tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, uh, green peppers. So you solved your own problem. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I was like, like what do I want to eat? We're growing that. Right. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Oh. You know, so there's a, a, the value chain for tomatoes in Ghana is fascinating. We, we import uh, tomatoes from Burkina and we yeah. import tomato paste from everywhere. Yes. Right? Idea. Yeah, so we've got, you've got brothers who have left Ghana who are crossing the Sahara to pick tomatoes in Italy, right? which essentially get canned and sent back to Ghana. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Right? But it's not a tropical fruit, so there are about 70 diseases that can attack a, a tomato. Okay. Uh, so particularly when you're doing intensive farming, it's, it's difficult to manage that. Right. Um, but... We, we could be doing better than we are. That's so interesting. I, I definitely know that there's a lot of space for growth in reference to um, the supply chain mm-hmm. of things. 
you know, like how we have cocoa here, but we literally import Milo because it's manufactured somewhere else. And I know there's like the, the issue of capital or access to funding for capital to process these things. But um, I love that. I love that you are taking that on. So do you, do you plan to grow like the business and are you supplying internally? Well, I, we can't compete. Um, two things. You, you never use a, uh, a greenhouse tomato for paste okay. because it's too expensive to grow. Your, your fresh tomato in a greenhouse that you can produce all year round during the dry season, that's a, that's a finished product. It belongs on a, a shelf in a supermarket. Okay. Um, and you should get a premium for it. So I'm interested in that niche. Okay. I can't compete with, with the paste guys. Because they're producing at such scale. At scale, That's right. an industrial tomato operation. Right. So, and not necessarily the manufactured aspect. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you supply. Do you supply um, the supermarkets? We do. Do you sell in the markets? I think that was more so. Yeah, no, okay. it's, uh, we, we, so we, we're only scratching the surface. We need to scale okay. X10, X20, X100. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. We definitely have to visit. Sure. Yes, yeah, we do. I'm going to find a cute hat, right? how we think about these things. <laughs> oh, but we're inside, so we don't need to be shielding ourselves. No, no, no. rock the hat. Rock the hat. Put, rock the hat. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, we'll be yeah. in yeah. <laughs> So we talk about people moving back to Ghana or, okay, investing in Ghana. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the States. I'm interested in investing some money into Ghana. What would you suggest for me? I'm open. I, I would suggest getting to the country and seeing where your passion is. Like, <laughs> yeah, so really? I, yeah, there's no, you know, I wouldn't. Okay, so the mindset of, I just want to give someone my money to invest in Ghana that I can trust. I think that's a great way to lose your money. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> you know, You just, you know, no, you, it yeah. has to be I mean, said because some people think that way. Right? No, right. no, get on the plane. You need to, you know, find your entrepreneur. You gotta squeeze him and see whether this is the person. It's real. Yeah, do your due diligence. Got, just wire money to somebody in Ghana. That sounds like. 419. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. You need to, yeah, you need okay. to, to get so into the, get the game. you have to find what you like and see how you can make some money. Yeah, yeah. Have to do some research. first. I say that all Visit the time. first. Yeah. And, yeah, and I literally had this conversation with someone on, um, on Facebook. Really, the person was like a little frustrated and annoyed that they couldn't find all the, all the information to start a business, to live in Ghana, information about schools and things like that so that they can plan mm. to live in Ghana before they come and live in Ghana. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. And I was like, visit. She said, oh, visiting is not the problem. You know, I know how to visit. I said, no, no, no. You have to visit because you can do all of that planning and literally oh, yeah. come here and realize that it's not for me. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have to visit. You have to visit. Absolutely important. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think it's important to understand from an economic perspective is just the scale. So there's opportunity, it's a gateway, but in its current manifestation, the economy of Ghana is the size of Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's tiny. Wow. I've never thought about it that yeah, way. That's it. Right? So it's not, it's not brimming with cash. Right? If you're going to make it work, you need to be very strategic. Yeah. You need to see exactly where the gaps are and how you can really play a role in filling them. And it's not obvious. Right, right. right? So, but it, it may be, you know, if you're, you've got a certain profession that you can leverage. But in my view, 
the market is really abroad, right? That's why I'm so excited about the diaspora. Yeah, yeah. Right, because if you're, it's, yeah, so it's Albuquerque, New Mexico. The idea of, okay, I'm going to move to a place like Albuquerque and set up my business, and I'm only going to sell to people in Albuquerque. Nobody would do that. Good luck. Right? right? I mean, even people in Albuquerque, they're looking to sell outside right, of Albuquerque. Of Albuquerque. <laughs> you know, unless it's a coffee shop. Right. Right? So I think the diaspora story is interesting. I think the cap, raising the capital is interesting. Just, so you've got, you know, it's, uh, I can't remember the figure, maybe a $60, $70 billion economy. Right? The buying power of black America is $1.4 trillion. Right, that's real money that, that moves markets. Right. Even if we get like a percentage of that, let's say, connected to Ghana, we are onto something. I, I believe Africa I is see black people's yeah, it's black people's yeah. power base. Mm. Yeah. This is our power base is here. Yeah. 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 Wow. yeah. And I you could even see that with the Floyd conversation mm -hmm. that you know, I was so thrilled to see Ghana asserting itself into that right. discourse. You know, both with the statements that was read at the funeral, the statement from the president, the statement mm. from the minister of tourism. You know, so look, you don't feel welcome where you are? Come. Right. You know, this is a place where your, your race is not something that's going to hold you back. Right. So. I would, I would add on to that and say, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that too. However, I'm also thinking it is important for us, again, like I said earlier, right. to make sure we have the structures in place or think through those structures so that when we do invite and we do call, that people have something to put their energy and cash sure. into yeah. and they can at least attach themselves to some type of process. Um, yeah, there's so much like this. This is just like space and space and opportunity to make things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are some final things that you would like to say to our audience and how can they get in touch with you? Well, I, the best way to get me is uh, to find me on LinkedIn. So Kofi Anku, I think I'm probably the only one. Um, Kofi Anku. A-N-K-U. A -A That's the best way to get me. Um, but no, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. Thank uh, you. Your help is, you guys, uh, there's a, you, you found the gap. We're struggling to tell our story to the diaspora. So you, you folks as diasporians, um, you, you know, you're, you're on the front line for that because people should be speaking to you. How did you move in? You know, so right. you've got these concentric circles of Ghanaians, Ghanaians abroad, um, other Africans in the diaspora abroad, other black Americans, Caribbean. So yeah. I think it's extraordinary work. And uh, I think it's, it's going to be transformational. I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, we're talking about a fraction of, um, of, of a market. And uh, I think that we could even be bolder. Right, and when you say we, who are you we black people, okay, right, that when you look at something like chocolate, and we're talking about imported Milo, forget yeah. about the imported Milo, the entire value chain of chocolate, hundred billion dollars, right, sixty percent of the main ingredient is grown in Ivory Coast and Ghana, yeah. and we benefit around six percent of that value chain. Wow, yeah. Right. So now when you're, when you're looking at chocolate, it's cocoa, yeah. sugar from Brazil, it's vanilla from Madagascar. Where's the Swiss contribution? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Why do we think Switzerland when you think chocolate? It's true. There's no Swiss contribution. Mm -hmm. That's a tropical product. So we need to really collaborate with high-profile black American and own that value chain. 
You know, the chocolate should be brand. You can eat it again. Beyonce and Rihanna on board, and they need to begin to tell the story. And Africans need to be benefiting from that entire value chain, from the brand, the manufacturing, the processing, from the farms. You know, I mean, that, that to me is just, uh, it's a no-brainer. And it's, it's not about getting 5%, it's about owning the whole thing. But we'll definitely be talking a lot more in reference to executing these thoughts and ideas for sure. Um, I want to thank you for honoring the invitation. Thank you. Yeah, thank and coming to talk invite. to us. It's been fun. Yeah, I I um, definitely have learned a lot and happy we're able to reconnect yeah, as well. Absolutely. So you're officially a friend of the show. Fantastic. Yay. Yes. And maybe when we go check out either Imensa or the Aquaponics Farm, maybe we can film it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much. You. Wonderful. Thank you, everyone, for checking out our show and sticking with us. If you like what you saw, if anything resonated with you, please make sure you like, share, and subscribe. Be sure to go on all of our social media platforms at yard.abroad and share what you love. Um, and talk to us more about what you want to hear. Again, thank you for staying tuned. It's Yard Abroad with Lakeisha Marie and Zinga Makita. Keep it locked, stick and stay. <laughs>